what are we doing to preserve the tip credit right now? A lot. We are we are in, engaged. At, well, we are not a party to the, the the court case, which will be before the court of appeals. I think this is the third time we've talked about it on the podcast. Uh, but we will be filing on behalf of the industry. Okay, ready. This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Happy first day of fall, Justin. The seasons, they are changing. Yeah, it is fall and it feels like it. It's about 25 degrees cooler than it was uh, yesterday. So that's good. Fall is my favorite season of the year. So I'm happy that we are in fall. This is this is the best time of year. Yeah, I like when the weather finally breaks. 60, 65. I'm not into snow. We don't need to hurry into winter. But I like when the weather breaks. Yeah, post-Labor Day till about maybe that week before Thanksgiving or so is is prime Michigan weather, the best Michigan weather. What's your favorite fall activity, if it's your favorite season? I love all of them. We're meeting up with my dad this weekend. We're going to do the full tour. We're going to do like a fall bike ride as a, as, as a family, and then we're going to do the apple orchard thing Whoa. and go all in. It's a, it's we're, We are big. Always grew up. We always were all in on fall activities, uh, and we're, we're, we're extending that on to the next generation. Wow, that's fun. Yeah. You? I love like Sunday football and like cooking food and having people over. Bonfires in the fall are super fun. So that's my that's my go to. I don't have kids, so I can't do all that stuff yet. This is where you should be saying, I love going to wine country and staying in hotels and eating in many nice restaurants throughout the state of Michigan. The tourism in the fall is the color tour, right? Perfect. All right, let's get into current events. Pineapple Express, starting off, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, which is something that we have been talking about a lot in our member communications this month, providing those resources, and really has been, mental health overall has been a topic we've hit on several times on this podcast. Every time we talk to an operator, it comes up in some way kind of a heavy topic, but the whole point of the Awareness Month is to destigmatize the topic and not make it weird to talk about or uncomfortable to talk about. So I didn't want September to pass without us recognizing that it is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Yeah, we've had a lot of response from when we had Mickey on earlier this year to talk about substance abuse. And I think you're exactly right. There is a stigma involved and if you can play any role in helping just bring that forward and having some of these basic conversations you can shift that trend in a positive direction and there's a lot of positive efforts out there this being one of them to do that uh, and this industry needs that we'll use the term now more than ever yeah and there is a new suicide and crisis lifeline so instead of being a long number it is just 988 now um, which is a relatively new thing you can call text or chat to talk to a mental health trained professional at any time. So we've been working to promote that. And then the MRLA obviously has mental health resources on its website as well. And we have access to different ways to provide your staff with mental health resources as well. Yeah, I saw that Jonathan Mays, our, one of our very first guests ever, retweeted our effort on that. And so oh, really? we, went, we went national with the 988 effort. So that's good. That is good. 
Very good. Okay, so the next topic. Come on, I want to see you segue. This is the smoothest of all segues. Go. From suicide to? Pickleball. Sure. Why wouldn't you go from suicide to pickleball? Please tell me more. Pickleball is all the rage. and According to whom? The data and the science. (laughs) Right? Thank you, Joe. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to hit you with a question and I'm back it up with some data. Do you think pickleball can save the entertainment sector of our industry? I'm the worst. This is, I have sentiments that are akin to QR codes when it comes to pickleball. And I know it's popular. I know it's, but I'm a tennis guy and I just see it taking over tennis courts everywhere and annoying the living hell out of me as a tennis player. So that's my personal take. It's a little hot. Professionally, do I think pickleball is the future? I think it's a hot trend right now. And I think it is accessible as a sport that's, you know, not overwhelming. Maybe maybe the bowling uh, of, of, our, of our day. I don't know. But it, it definitely seems to have. It's riding a wave right now in ways that annoy me personally, but uh, are great maybe for the industry. I wanted to say, OK, Boomer to you when you first gave that take, even though you're not a Boomer. But pickleball started as a Boomer generation activity and now it has spread to the younger generations so did you know that the fastest growing demographic is 8 to 18 and 19 to 28 year olds for pickleball i was not aware of of those of those uh stats fascinating great activity for you to do with your kids uh we play tennis (laughs) right elitist (laughs) um there are pickleball restaurants popping up across the country. I haven't heard of one in Michigan, but they in Denver and Alabama, there's some opening called Camp Pickle, which I think is a great name. I think it's interesting. Get moving and also spend a bunch of money on food and drinks. Yeah, this segment of the industry was was thriving in the mid-teens throughout the last decade and it and it hit a snag during COVID and it hasn't really fully come back. This is a different version of that by being pickleball specific, but I, I like it. I like the activity side of it. We'll see if it, it has a chance to take off in Michigan. It's it's early, but it has some juice in some other parts of the country. Well, if the president and CEO of the MRLA has anything to say about it, apparently it won't. I, if, it, if it helps the industry, I'm all in. I'm, I'm all in. I might not go personally, but I will, I will cheer from afar. I'm a badminton person myself. Play a lot of badminton. So yeah, I'd like have, to see one of those. You have on our, our reference sheet here, Hocker. So I don't even know what that is. And you wouldn't because it's a game I created with my brother in our childhood that is a cross between hockey and soccer, but it's played with a volleyball as the soccer ball. It's a great game. Wow. Joe is just fully supporting everything I'm saying. And it's, I'm playing pickleball tonight. <laughs> uh, where? Uh, probably Delta Mills. Uh, they have like a devoted pickleball court, so it's not going to upset, you know, tennis snobs like you. Uh, <laughs> There's so much hate on my own podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Undecided as to where. But it's an outdoor court. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, your tennis courts at the Mac are getting used up. This they is are, just they getting better. Also, it's in and outside. It's, it, but that's, it's okay. It's all good. All right. I'll, I'll give you the rules of hawker soon too. Uh, I think that's a, a necessary follow-up, and maybe that's the future trend. I think I could make some money off of that. Lansing's got a scene coming, right? Don't we have shuffleboard coming? Lansing Shuffle coming, I think they're opening in November, fingers crossed. 
Shuffleboard, eating, drinking, entertainment. I see staff retreat opportunity. Let's do it. Okay. Okay, for fork's sake, they are, the legislature is in Lansing this week and things feel like they're happening, or at least we're doing things. Yeah, the town's been a buzz. The legislature's been back, and it feels like you're compressing what would normally be two full months of legislative session into two days. And so activity was everywhere. Committees were meeting nonstop. Johnny was all over the place. For those new listeners, that's John McNamara, our vice president of government affairs, who was testifying on uh, on some uh, policies that we support. Uh, one of them in particular, uh, he was testifying in the Senate Regulatory Reform Committee uh, for Senate Bill 1163, which would remove the sunset for cocktails to go. So making those available in perpetuity. We were one of the first states to allow cocktails to go when restaurants were closed. Thanks to the MRLA. Thanks to the MRLA. We, we Instead of going to your favorite restaurant to get a margarita and or other beverages, uh, we brought them to you. It was a temporary opportunity, but it's sort of the, the industry's changed. This is just part of, of how restaurant food works now. And people are, are getting this type of uh, service across the state. They like it a lot. Pulling uh, is, is clear that people like this opportunity, even if they don't use it every time they get carry out, but it's a big deal. And so we haven't seen any opposition uh, to date, which is a good sign. And we're going to keep pushing to make sure that that is a permanently made available opportunity for restaurants. No reason not to. You ever use it, by the way? A couple times before I go play pickleball. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice callback. Our, I'm amazed by, we have Applebee's as a, a board member, and the amount that they sell of the, what do you call them, a pouch? The Long Islands. Of Long Island iced teas is absurd. It is a big deal to them, and it has become a, a, a customer favorite. So there is actual demand out there. Dangerously delicious, yeah. some might say. Another big bill we are focused on is a local preemption bill on natural gas bans. So just fundamental to the restaurant industry is is open flame to cook almost anything you can conceive of. And it is really inconceivable to think of this industry operating without natural gas and to provide the kind of quality and experience that you would expect. There have been some push at some lo- in, in local municipalities to create this type of ban. One thinks it's more about residential developments going forward, but there is not an exclusion that would that would somehow allow for businesses like restaurants who would be most impacted by this kind of a ban uh, from happening. So it's a change that you're seeing across the country right now. We're seeing it pop up in places like Ann Arbor uh, in Michigan, and that would be devastating to this industry, uh, really inconceivable to how this industry operates and, and the type of experience and, and food we create. So. Uh, we are supportive and helping to push legislation that would preempt local governments from making this decision, making it a statewide requirement if ever there was going to be a policy uh, to go down this road. So active on that one and getting some positive responses in a bipartisan way, right? Like you're seeing Republicans and Democrats uh, working together on this one. So that's a good thing. Anything else on the docket? Uh, House Bill 5387 also also moving this week. So the House Regulatory Reform Committee took testimony on 5387. It limits the amount of time that the Liquor Control Commission can consider previous violations. If you are listening and you have a liquor license, you know and you are are already starting to get triggered by just knowing what's going on. The, The commission has been looking back absurdly long periods of time over the last couple of years, and it's not quite... 
clear why? People with, with a violation of a minority owner from 40 or 45 years ago are somehow impacting decisions for a 2022 license transfer. It's absurd. So this bill will limit uh, the look back to two years, I believe, is, is as introduced. There's some flexibility there uh, in terms of willingness, I think, by the industry to have a look back. But it is obscene to think that 50-year-old violations are somehow relevant to the decision-making of transferring or securing uh, a liquor license in, in 2022, especially when they're still held accountable to all other alcohol regulation uh, in the state and any violations going forward. So something we are on, we need sensible policy and sensible activity out of the Liquor Control Commission. I think this is a step in that direction. Seems like common sense. Yes. Okay, so I probably should have started this segment talking about the, the biggest topic that we're obviously still hearing about, which is the saving the tip credit update. It kind of ties into, I've been trying to push this Q&A segment for about a year now. Did I get a submission? No. But did I get a question from a member that I'm just going to use to create this segment? Yes. What are we doing to preserve the tip credit right now? A lot. We are we are in, engaged. At, well, we are not a party to the, the the court case, which will be before the court of appeals. I think this is the third time we've talked about it on the podcast. Uh, but we will be filing on behalf of the industry. Uh, what's called an amicus brief, basically making the case for why this industry shouldn't be held as a, as, as sort of an external an externality, if you will, it, the one bearing the brunt of making a point about what the legislature should or shouldn't be able to do uh, with ballot proposals and the impact of the industry would be tremendous. So we will have an amicus brief that we file that will be relevant to that case and are trying to educate legislators on this process throughout uh, should there be an opportunity for a legislative solution at some point that prevents this industry from falling off a cliff, which we will have polling data that we're not quite ready to share publicly yet. Uh, but probably the next time that we do this podcast, we'll, we'll talk about impacts to both operators and those who work in this industry, what their sentiments are, uh, what they're willing to endure as change and what they're not. And I, it, the data is really fascinating, but it's not quite ready for prime time yet. So uh, stay tuned to the next episode where we'll have a little bit more on that. And members will get that in their inboxes, too. Sure, of course. Member value. Plug. Okay. Who do we have for an interview today, Justin? The first retread, which is probably the not nicest way to say this, but we're bringing back guests by popular demand. And because it is of that season, we are bringing back John Selleck and Adrian Heeman to get an election update. A lot has changed since we did this in the spring. I want to bring them in and get a sense of where they think uh, the election is going to is trending as we get uh, within seven weeks. We are, I believe, 47 days as of recording today from the election. And so... We're getting close. We're in the thick of it. It's basically absentee uh, ballot time. So you're going to start to see people will be voting in a very short amount of time. Uh, Where do we think things are trending? Everything is up uh, this year. And so a lot is on the line. Uh, Be interesting to hear uh, their professional input. Feels like that meme from The Office where Michael is saying, it's happening. Oh, my God, it's (laughs) happening. (laughs) I love it. All right, I think these two need no introduction as our first time repeat guests, but welcome back to John Selleck, founder and CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs, and Adrian Hemond, CEO of Grassroots Midwest. If you missed their first time on this podcast, you can go back and listen to episode seven, The Mother of All Election Cycles. Uh, but all that content's going to be way out of date because a lot has changed since then. Absolutely. Gentlemen, welcome back. 
Thanks for having us. And the Pistons content from last time is absolutely not out of date. Driving huge traffic all the way around. Bojan. 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 Oh, you, you want to go right in to the Bogdanovic right trade? The I looked up stats Just breaking. Today. They're brimming at the top of my head. They're competing with the Senate statistics. The team needed shooting. We'll get to that at the end. Okay. All right. A lot has changed. Some of us have endured serious injuries since the last time we were here, but everyone is in the room. Adrian, are you healthy? Are you okay? I am. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm okay. I'm back in the dojo. The young lady uh, broke uh, one of my ribs and partially collapsed my lung with a sidekick, but I'm back in fighting trim. Wow. I mean, this is, this is a plug for it. Was it Kramaga? It was at Kramaga, yeah. Say, this is, I mean, it does not matter who you are, what size you are. You can be lethal with that training. Absolutely. 16-year-old girl put me on my back. I'm telling you, I just, I still, I can't get the Seinfeld episode of Kramer <laughs> fighting the kids, except the kids have fought back. Yeah. Wait, how do we pronounce this? Krav Maga. It sounds like a new vegetarian restaurant. What is, how do you know what that is, Justin? Because <laughs> it's on the shirt. It's on my shirt. Yeah. <laughs> except what I see is uh, Crave Maga. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's a problem. Never thought you were a Maga guy. Huh? Yeah, no, it's uh, it was playing against type. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. A lot has changed since the primary. A lot of people enjoyed the content last time around. Uh, we are less than seven weeks from Election Day. Much, much sooner we will be seeing uh, ballots in people's mailboxes. So it's go time. Where do you see things trending? Uh, let's start with the let's start statewide. We go, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna spend a little time with governor. We're not gonna spend a lot of time with governor. We spent a lot of time on governor last time around. It doesn't feel as hot and close as one might have expected, let's say a year ago, or maybe even six months ago, uh, that the race might be. Adrian, you want to give a, a summary of where we are at in the governor's race? Yeah, I mean, where we are is that despite a a terrible, terrible set of fundamentals for Democrats in terms of an unpopular president. An economy that's not doing all that well. Um, Democrats are in the catbird seat in terms of the governor's race right now, partly because of the Dobbs decision, which has sort of, you know, put the governor's campaign into overdrive, but also because of the comedy that played out in the Republican nominating process for governor. That's not even a dig at their nominee per se, just how long it took and yeah, it how was. crazy it was, it was to get there. It no, those are coming, but that's not my dig <laughs> at Tudor Dixon yet. Salik, <laughs> so, what do you think? What a different place we sit in uh, from maybe like six months ago. Um, the governor's pollster, who's the same pollster that the uh, president uses, said back in March that it was the worst political environment for Democrats he's ever seen in his 30-year career. Skip forward, he did an interview last week. He's like, okay, we're competitive. The summer has been a very different place for Democrats. We passed a couple bills that had the word inflation in it. Nobody knows what it really does, but it sounds good. Got a chips bill. That might do something. Uh, we stopped falling off our bike. Uh, we did something better with Ukraine than what we did with Afghanistan. And then the abortion issue came down and did this. But despite all those national good things for Democrats, I think it is more of a 50-50-ish looking thing right now. So we don't really know what's going to happen. And I would say, if I'm still allowed to talk about the governor's offices, the clock ticking, Emily, mm -hmm. yeah. that the governor is kind of on an island. She didn't depend on all that national stuff to put her in a better place. She was actually writing her own ship a long time ago, and she's continued to do so. Lots of money, right, on the messaging. Even interesting that her TV ads primarily tend to talk about inflation and education, not abortion like everyone else is doing. That's way more targeted for her. So she's able to spend a ton of money on the air, shoring up their weaknesses, continuing to make herself an island of hope in the Democratic Party for winning, while everyone else does the dirty work on abortion. But I don't know that that automatically, therefore, 
turns into shirt tails. It's not because everybody loves her better. She's just done a reasonable job looking more reasonable. Showing in the numbers, Free Press uh, poll out today has her favorability up five from where it was a month ago. I think she's at 55%. Uh, she was 50 a month ago. Tudor Dixon, the alternative, the Republican alternative, at something like 22% positive and 44 negative. Those numbers are going dramatically in the wrong direction on that campaign right now. Justin, if we spent $20 million against you, we could even give you an upside down approval rating. It would probably it's take true. 20 bucks would probably be enough, frankly, to, to do it. But that's what's been done. I mean, the financial disadvantage of the Republicans so far has been uh, amazing. It's shocking. And it's not only in Michigan. So to Tudor credits, or to Tudor credit, to Tudor Dixon's defense, per se, what the GOP has done is switch to this operation where we pick only outsiders. And we only seem to pick outsiders right now. Well, I'm sorry, Donald Trump only seems to pick outsiders right now who don't have their own bank accounts. So you bring outsiders in who may have the advantage of no record. Let me define myself the way I want to, except they have no way to define themselves. We've seen this in Senate races across the country. Herschel Walker, Mm -hmm. J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, they all got funded in the primary in some way. And then they were say, "Okay, fly out of the nest. You're on your own. And they're not able to do so because they just don't have the resources. Meanwhile, the Dems do. It's a really good point. And specific to the governor's race here. The uh, the Tudor Dixon's No Exceptions ad started airing at 9 p.m. on primary night. Right. And Only people she, like us could just like giggle right. at that process. Wise. It's like, but yeah. she had no money to respond to that, right? And so the governor and her allies essentially had the field to themselves to define their opponent. And their opponent, you know, it'd be like me fighting this 16-year-old girl, right, with my hands behind my back. It went bad enough when I had my hands up. (laughs) God forbid if my hands were behind my back, I might not be talking to you. What is a scenario you could even envision in your mind that would change the trajectory this race is on and somehow create the improbable Tudor Dixon win? I mean, it it would require something completely beyond the control of the candidates, certainly, like some sort of economic cataclysm or, you know, some sort of scandal or something like that. I mean, it's really hard to envision what it would be that would make up that much ground to where Tudor Dixon would actually win. I think at this point for Republicans, the task is to control the damage down ballot and not let this get out of hand. You know, if if the result is what we're seeing in the most recent polling, that's a disaster all the way down the ballot for Republicans. If Tudor Dixon can find a way to lose by less than Republicans did in 2018, I think from where we stand right now, that's a victory for Republicans. So right now the call is going to be governor gets reelected. I'm going to guess from both of you. Tell me if I'm wrong. Do you, are you willing on this day, September 22nd, to put a margin you think you feel comfortable-ish with, with what that looks like? I think it looks very, very similar to what it did in 2016. I think that's where you set the over-under. 2018. Uh, uh, 2018, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where you set the over-under in uh, sort of gambling terms, right, is at about nine. That was about nine. Governor won uh, her first election for governor uh, mm-hmm. by nine points-ish mm-hmm. in 2018. Okay. I don't remember that. <laughs> He's got a case of PTSD. Too soon. Too soon. This is what you get for being late. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to get picked. It's going to be a pile on. Let's move on to some of the other the, the other statewide. I'm not even going to spend time on the other statewide electeds. I think we most people anticipate the attorney general and the secretary, secretary of state are on their way to easy reelects. Anyone want to contradict that point? Yeah, I'll just inject, interject. I've seen some focus group information Dana Nussel is not somebody who makes friends easily, at least with independence. There's a lot of video out there of her just acting sort of like not as attorney generals typically act. Attorneys general, I should know how to say that. I worked there for a while. Mm. Even her new ads that come out, I don't think do a good job of capturing her. I think she's a super funny person in person. 
is my guest and she's fun to be around. It's not, it doesn't translate. And she comes across as kind of a angry warrior with a really dark sense of humor. And those kind of wild card moments that she has come back to bite her. There hasn't been one silver bullet, but there's a lot out there to work with. It's really going to depend on if the powers that be in DC or here decide we're not going to really be able to play in the governor's race, but we will jump in because it might be a close race. Because remember, Tom Leonard and Dana Nessel was only, I think, a three-point race last time. That may be still a place that they, they play. I think Benson is totally fine. Yeah, I think that a replacement-level candidate would be very competitive with Dana Nessel right now. And unfortunately for Republicans, they didn't, they didn't make it to replacement level. But the thing is, nobody knows who he is. So right now he is replacement level. They are seeing her. I watched her, her newest commercial. She just didn't do it. Her, she's only sitting at 58% name ID. That's not uncomparable to where Shooty was at his reelection point in 2014. But then with that cash advantage that you have, that she has, like Shooty did, you got to build that really saw the message and remind people, oh, yeah, they did all these nice things as attorney general. Her ad's like a little shaky on that. doesn't really do a good job of constantly saying who she is. And then my just personal thing is at the end, she runs up these stairs and runs away. And I can't really tell where she's running to. I just want to know where she's going. Is she going to lunch? <laughs> is, was there an emergency? Like what happened? Yeah, I think it's tough for her. She's always viewed herself, I think, right, as, an, as, as a righteous outsider who has uh, a specific policy that she believes she's going to make things better by by coming with that perspective. It's hard for her to be the the establishment candidate who she is now. And the alternative is really much more of the outsider. So unless Matt DiPerno, I would presume, raises a lot more money than he has to date. I don't I don't know how that message gets yeah, out. Yeah. Well, it's still it's major advantage Nestle at this point. But if we're looking at those top three races, that's the one where some some movement could occur, I think. OK, let's transition to the proposals, because three of what was once what going to be as many as 14, 15. We, mm-hmm. we talked about the possibility that many, many would be on the ballot. Uh, only three mm-hmm. made it to the ballot. All three of them are really interesting, though. Any one you want to tackle first and where you think it might go? Sure. I think the proposal three, obviously, is sucking a lot of the oxygen out of the room. This is to enshrine the constitutional right to an abortion in Michigan state constitution. It's polling very well. The polling you just referenced has got it north of 60 percent with voters right now. I think that number is going to come back down to earth a little bit, although I expect it to pass relatively easily. And the question, and this is, I'm, I'm just stealing this straight up from you, Selleck. The question <laughs> is, do Republicans, the sort of middle of the road Republicans who support abortion rights in some form or fashion, number one, do they vote for proposal three? And number two, do they continue to vote for Republicans while they're doing it? Does proposal three give them an off ramp to go ahead and support those Republican candidates who don't support abortion rights because they're voting for this proposal and the polling all looks like it's going to make it into our state constitution. So at that point, it's kind of a moot point in terms of the elected officials that you vote for. And we don't know the answer to that question. Nobody's really dug into that in polling data or focus groups, at least not that I've had the opportunity to see. Yeah. You have to assume today that it passes, but I, I for sure think it's going to be a much lower number than what we're seeing in the polls right now, particularly because the, the data even shows and when they talk to voters, they see once you plant a seed of doubt in their head, does this eliminate parental consent for abortion? That's a big problem. Do other things like allow third trimester abortions? It's kind of the number that's missing in a lot of the big picture screaming headlines that when you dig in and say, how good are you with a first trimester versus a second versus a third? It's dropping like a stone in second, and then it's all the way down to the bottom. In the third, and there's arguments to be made legally that what this would do is wipe out every other rule and say basically it could happen any time. So it's going to come to the the right to life side, which 
they say they have a lot of money to go on the air any minute now and how well they message that will determine how much they can peel off the top. Well, and I think that there's there there's something interesting and sort of fundamental about the politics of this issue that I think it was a real missed opportunity for Republicans this year that could have put them in a much better position going into the fall than they're in right now. When the Dobbs decision leaked, what Republicans should have done, and I don't think they were capable of this, was pick a number, right? Maybe it's 15 weeks, maybe it's 18 weeks. It actually, the number doesn't actually matter. Have a broad list of exceptions that are attached to that. That historically polls at about where the ballot initiative polls right now, right? And they lost that opportunity. It's far too late to pursue a strategy like that right now, but that would have been the smartest possible politics is to adopt a broadly, you know, popular position with the majority on a really difficult issue. I'm not sure that right to life and some of the interest groups would have allowed that without severely punishing Republican candidates in primaries, but they'd be in a lot better position than they are right now. Sure. And like with almost any product or any point in our lives, uh, even at your restaurants, the first impression carries a lot of Bring it back to the industry. I I love the industry. Me too. (laughs) The first impression with this ballot initiative is that it's just a simple fix. It just says, let's clear up all this mess. If you don't understand Dobbs or anything else, don't worry. You vote for this. Everything will be good on reproductive rights. So there is a hill to climb when you are trying to peel those things off and make it messier. And I don't think this will be like a typical ballot initiative in which you can start to just like create some doubts and it goes away because the fundamental question is so strong. And what we've seen from voters and focus groups and other things where people who will say, I I would never have an abortion, but I want there to be an option for my daughter, my friend, whatever, in an emergency or whatever their description is, they're having it kind of both ways. And because in the end, they still want that to be there. And so eliminating that, even with some, you know, questioned legal stuff is going to be tricky. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this proposal may be, especially because it's in the constitution, I believe no other state has specific abortion rights in the state constitution or am I wrong? I believe that to be correct, although California has something similar on the ballot this year as well. So this may be further further out than where the majority of Michigan Michigan residents, Michigan voters are. However, if the alternative is a total ban that exists in 1930 as opposed to somewhat of a more moderate uh, approach that Republicans might have had the opportunity to but didn't pursue, if those are my two options as, as an undecided voter, then you're going to vote for the option even if you think maybe it's too far. Yeah. And that's not actually a surprise, right? That's been reflected in polling data for decades, right? That the American people are broadly in the middle on this issue and the options that they are offered by the two political parties are just yes or no. And when you offer people just the yes or no option, the answer is yes. And when you offer them some nuance, they'll run to it, right? But that's not what the two parties are offering. And so we're going to get what we're going to get. Like this thing, this thing's more than likely going to pass. And it took the Republicans too long to figure out that it was a problem. Websites are getting wiped. People are changing their position on abortion. In America, maybe in the rest of the world, I don't know, I don't live there, we tend to get like bored even with the most crazy, even the saddest, even the most attention-grabbing issues. Hurricanes happen. We feel bad about it for two weeks. We read a check, and then we talk about the next thing. We're going to talk about Adam Levine tomorrow. Then the next day, we're going to talk about something else. And it was like a question of the staying power of the abortion issue for the Democrats. Could they really run literally almost every ad going forward on abortion? And right now, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Let me move to Proposal 1. This is, uh, for the record, MRLA endorsed Proposal 1. I think there's a lot of organizations, both on the, the business and the labor side, anyone who's working, frankly, in downtown uh, supporting this. This is Voters for Transparency in Term Limits. Changed term limits from 14 to 12 years, so it actually rolls back to total years on the high end, but it gives you flexibility on how you are going to serve those years, theoretically allowing someone to stay in the house for an entire 12 years and build knowledge and understanding while they stay in the house and maybe become speaker and stay as speaker for more than one or two terms and get some continuity of leadership there, which I think for those who work in this town would like to see a little more continuity of leadership uh, just for stability on that front. Where do you guys think this comes down at the end of the day? I mean, I think it'll pass. You know, there's not there's not a super organized opposition, certainly not a super organized, well-funded opposition. You know, Pat Anderson and a few others are going to be out there, you know, crowing about how this is, you know, poking holes in term limits, which clearly it kind of is. Right. But uh, there's not really a well-funded, organized opposition. I do think that there, you know, there this will pass. There are likely to be some unintended consequences, particularly in the types of people that you get running for office because of the financial disclosure requirements. Um, This is not that I was ever going to run for office, but like for a business owner, you know, sort of having to hike up your skirts and, and show the financials of your business in order to have the privilege of taking a massive pay cut and dealing with all the idiots in Lansing is not super attractive. But also, like we've all worked in the term limits era and to quote the heavyweight champion of the world, this is sucks. <laughs> this is sucks. But well what about all the oppo? You know, you'd like that part. All the oppo that comes out of something like that. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's great for hacks. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'll, full, I'll make tons of money. No, it's transparency, Adrian. It's not hacks. Okay. Look, the, this thing's going to pass. And I think when it does, it's going to be the shock of the election cycle. We spent all this time talking about abortion and everything else. People have wanted to adjust term limits for stability, like, like Justin said, for a really long time. And it's always just drops. It can't go anywhere. It hits a dead end. In other states where they tried to alter it, it fails. Like going into it, I think the people looking at it were like, let's give this a try. But it's not going to be successful. I've thought all along, the only way to do it is to absolutely hammer legislators and say, you do have to make them expose their private finances. You do have to cut their term limits, making the sale that we're going to allow somebody to stay in the Senate longer so that they're like more knowledgeable over time is not a sale uh, point on this. And that's what they've done. They came out on television and they did the ad like, I want to know what's going on in the personal finances, the potential conflicts of interest with legislators. Make them show what they're up to because, frankly, people think all politicians are crooks. And we're seeing some good poll numbers on it. Mm -hmm. Last one. We'll go quickly on this one. Promote the vote. 2022 on the ballot. Coalition of voting rights groups seeking to allow nine days of early voting subsidize absentee ballots in the tracking system, continue to allow registered voters without a state ID to sign an affidavit attesting to their identity and many other things related to, we'll say, promoting the vote. Will this pass? And do you have any concerns? Uh, man, I think it will pass. Part, it's enjoying a benefit that the term limits proposal is also enjoying that abortion has sucked all the oxygen out of the room, right? And that's, I think that's the other reason that both of these are likely to pass is that, you know, that's not where everyone's attention is right now. Um, and it's making it hard to organize opposition to this. There are, you know, groups that are opposed to promote the vote, but they're not spending a ton of money on it right now because those um, many of those same groups and individuals are opposed to proposal three. And if they're going to spend anywhere, it's going to be there. So I do think it passes. You know, I, I, I'm all for expanding access to the franchise. I think that's generally a good thing um, when you make it easier for people to vote. I do have some concerns around this. I've long maintained that, you know, 
voter ID is great as long as the ID is free. And I would really like to see, you know, efforts from groups on the left and the right to institute a system like that, not for a free driver's license, but you can get a state issued ID for free. Mm -hmm. So it's not a poll tax. And then, yeah, you have to show your ID when you show up at the polls. That seems simple. Right. I think it's going to pass. I think I can't remember if it was you or someone else we were talking to basically said it was the the son or daughter of the 2018 voter rights things, people feel good about it. If there actually was a debate or discussion about it, one, requiring idea polling polls really well. Voters want more security at the ballot box. It goes well into independents and Democrats even on that front. Another part would be the Zuckerbucks thing. This would allow somebody like Mark Zuckerberg to continue to funnel money yeah, I don't like into that. these clerk's offices. I am sure that if Steve Bannon pulled up outside of all the Northern Michigan clerk's offices with truckloads of cash, there might be some upset people about that. Um, but that's what's in here. Okay. Let's go to the main attraction. Two legislative chambers seemingly up for grabs right now. Republicans have had majority in the state Senate <laughs> since the early eighties. The House has gone a little more back and forth over that time period, but been, at least in this century, more predominantly Republican in uh, majorities than not. Currently, both chambers are in Republican control. Uh, let's start with the Senate. We have new maps, decidedly less favorable to the Republican side of the ticket, but do they maintain majority, and where do you see one or two or three places where this is going to be decided come Election Day? Yeah, I, th- I think they are going to lose majority. Um, and I don't think it's actually going to be particularly close. My own count right now is, you know, I think that Senator McDonald is in an incredible amount of trouble just because of redistricting, right? His district goes into the city of Detroit now. He has a high quality opponent. That's going to be really, really tough for Republicans to hold on to. You know, the the Pam Hornberger versus Kevin Hertel race is um, shaping up to probably be the most expensive Senate race in the state. And I've seen multiple rounds of polling down there um, on the abortion issue specifically that leads me to believe that Hertel probably pulls that one out. Um, although it'd be a real close race. Republicans are in real trouble in this Midland seat with uh, Annette Glenn versus Kristen Rivett McDonald. And that's another one where redistricting did Republicans absolutely no favors. It's sort of shocking to be talking about a district centered on the city of Midland that has a plus Democratic base. Um, If you've paid much attention to Michigan politics over the last, I don't know, thousand or so years like mid that's that was always the heart of darkness for the old uh, fourth congressional <laughs> district right like they, that was shooty and camp country and now it's uh it's a lean dem district midland is a very nice place i love it Mo- uh, highest proportion of phds of any city in america he's always got something to come back with look um <laughs> the republican remember the magic number is 20 votes so you got to have 20 votes to have the majority and avoid a democratic lieutenant governor having the tiebreaker every time and giving control to a, a potential second term of governor whitmer just to get to 18 the republicans have to keep uh they have to win a seat with mike weber sitting state rep now and win this mark Heisinger a seat which no one thought would be up for grabs in kent county except when we talk about the house stuff kent county is a wild looking place right now because of redistricting so they've just got to win two out of these six competitive seats and the messaging in all of them is really rough i do think like i said earlier the governor is an island i don't think she's so personally loved that she's going to drag everybody across it's not going to be that so much the abortion issue may be the deciding factor along with redistricting a lot of these seats but there is an element where the actual people involved locally if it's funded well enough is going to make an impact and the democrats are the ones with all the money right now they are running tv ads across the board in seats where they're even just sort of like defending somebody who's fairly popular like darren camilleri and down river but if you look at for example that rivet seat the ad against annette glenn is about abortion in her own words and they use audio and they actually do a really good job with it whereas 
Kristen Riva is running ads about tax cuts. Like mm-hmm. the world is like a very upside down, strange place right now. That's how tough it is for the Republicans. But they got a really professional, uh, good team has been winning for quite a long time. So I think these seats are all going to be battles right down to the end. Yeah. Having been in this reminds me a little of 2006 where that Senate came down to the very end. And there were a couple very, very tight seats uh, to the very last minute. And you didn't know until the next day where majority uh, was going to be. So it feels like it could come down to that. Do you think Republicans hold on to majority at the end of the day? Yeah, I do. I think they'll have the resources they need. They just got to win two more seats out of those six. There's a lot of stuff, tough stuff going on there. Um, the Sabo Bumstead race, I think that's within reach. But there's other ones that simply aren't that are in that six, like Rosemary Bear. She's running against somebody that the Republicans are pretty comfortable with, but they're already on TV with the father of an Oxford High School school shooting victim talking about how the Republican is active in the in the gun community. They found these individual messages like Kleinfeld and busting all the school fraud in her area. Great personal story. There's just and then the Nasser thing on Hornberger, whether you think it's fair or not, depending on she voted no, she voted yes. There's some damning individual issues that'll be interesting to see if they can cut through the clutter of abortion and inflation, all this other stuff. And, but they're out there and the Dems are running ads on it uh, right now. You mentioned the Camillary seat. Well, we talked about a suburban, Oakland County, suburban Grand Rapids seat, Kent County seat that are challenging for Republicans because of the Dobbs decision. But you also brought up the Camillary seat that's downriver. Do you see any upside potential for the Republicans to take that seat? I mean, I yes, but not this time. Um, they have the wrong candidate. You know, a, a 23, I'm notwithstanding how Darren Camillary got into the House, this is three times the population, and they have, it's a child that's running against Darren Camillary, and Darren is a very vigorous campaigner, yeah. and he's a very good fundraiser, so he's got the advantage in field, he's got the advantage in money right now, and he looks more like a senator because he's not in his early 20s anymore, like when he originally got elected. What we've talked a lot about is the, the great transition, um, not necessarily started by Donald Trump, but accelerated and taken advantage of the easiest way to divvy up whether you're a Republican or Democrat now is whether you went to college or not. So in 2020, we saw the um, House seat in Genesee and the House seat in Bay County flip to Republican for the first time since the Ronald Reagan era. Downriver looks like that. And so what Adrian is hinting at is that that's where that's going. Those seats eventually are going to be Republican. They've been at least temporarily slowed by the abortion issue. It's pushing back the other way. Yep, that's right. Uh, let's go to the House. New maps as well. Uh, Republicans in a slight majority, do you think that they can retain that majority as well? I am rooting for shared control. It's been far too long, <laughs> right? If we get to 55-55, I'm going to be super well pleased. And also, John and I will make fantastic scads of money next year. <laughs> so I'm really rooting for that outcome. And I think Can it's we actually... start a super PAC right now? Yeah, I know, right? I think that's actually a fairly likely outcome. It's a lot harder to create this critical mass of competitive seats in the House than it is in the Senate, because you need north of 270,000 people to make a Senate district, only 90,000 or so to make a House district. And in a lot of parts of the state, it's really easy to make a district with 90,000 people in it and maybe only see a couple dozen Democrats the whole time you're doing it. Um, and so those are just in the Republican bag already. Can I tell you what's depressing about those numbers that has nothing to do with politics? That those numbers are still the same now as they've been since all of us have been working, which means Michigan just isn't growing, right? The districts yeah. are held at 110 and held at 38. Very true. The, the fact that they aren't representing a larger population means we've just been stalled for so long. Sorry, that's just my personal beef. It's real hard to grow 
an association when you, when you don't have a population that's search. growing. Right. Yes. Um, no, I 100% think that that's right. Um, not to get off on a tangent, but, you know, maybe we should build some more housing for people to live in if we want more people to come here. I don't know. That's way off topic. Um, that's a, Does that's it a, need to be affordable? No, actually, because if you build more of it, it becomes more affordable because rich people <laughs> see something else that they want and they move into it. And then the other thing costs less money that you they can't moved tell, out Adrian of. and I just spent a few days in Traverse City where we yeah. talked about this topic a lot. Woof. We also went to Seven Monks, which was very good. Yeah, it is. Yeah, great place. Good yeah. member. Uh, yes. And also the heart of lack of affordable housing for a workforce that needs it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the state's not especially growing. But the 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 point of this is that there are a lot of these districts that are just fully in the bag for Republicans because Democrats are distributed really inefficiently. So I do think there's a chance that Democrats could flip the House, but it's an outside chance. And I do think that. John's theory of the case kind of has to be wrong in order for that to happen. And I'm not convinced that it is, right? Does the governor have much in the way of coattails, right? In order for Democrats to flip the House, the answer to that has to be at least a qualified yes, right? She doesn't have to pull people up by five points to make that happen, but she's got to be able to pull down ballot candidates up by a couple of points. Despite what you hear when you go over into the state capitol, which is why I almost never do it anymore, most people don't know who they are. Right. Those state reps and state senators, most people who live in their districts don't have a clue who they are. And so having someone at the top of the ticket, a brand at the top of the ticket that can eke out those last couple of points to get you over the top is going to be crucial for Democrats in some of these seats. And there are some seats where they, um, you know, if Democrats can make it happen, that would get them over the top. The other problem for Democrats is that because of redistricting, again, they have some tough, tough defenses that they have to pull off in a number of seats around the state just to stand pat before they start adding to their number. Yeah, I think Adrian does a really good job at covering the big stuff because he's a professor at heart and sometimes in reality. (laughs) I like to focus in as my example in the House is Kent County. I hinted at that earlier. Because of redistricting, what we have in the maps today that are now 10 years old is two seats basically in the city of Grand Rapids in the middle, which are packed with Democrats. And then the outer areas are all juiced up with Republicans. And so we have a five to advantage. Now it's cut like a pizza and I'm not trying to be on a food theme. That's actually my, my meme here. You caught from the center out Getting close to lunch. So every district has got a chunk of Grand Rapids attached to the front end of it. They're all a lot more 50, 50. The Democrats could have control of that, that caucus from Kent County for the first time, probably ever. And that would probably be an indicator that they're going to have a really good shot at majority. And so there's a lot of work being done there. The Republicans have good candidates all over the place. We have incumbent House members like Rachel Hood and Lynn, Lynn Effendulis battling it out with each other. That is a place that you've got to watch if you want to have a feel for what's going on, because Kent County on that whole college, non-college thing is moving to solid purple. You see the outcome similar? Going to be on a razor's edge on majority? Yeah, I think it's easier for the Republicans to keep the House. I, I hesitate to use the word easy, but yeah. Right. We'll end on, on, on this before. Well, we're going to end on the Pistons briefly, but I was on a national call yesterday with Charlie Cook. Just a little name drop there for you. Love that. And I was able to ask what he thought about turnout overall. This is a national call, so it was not specific to Michigan, but I asked him if he thought it was going to exceed the 2018 midterms, which were historic in their level of turnout. Uh, and his was a, a cautious yes. Mm-hmm. They think turnout's going to be so high because of multiple different issues driving different constituencies. And I asked him, to which party do you think that benefits more? And he was not 
as clear on what he thought that would be because there would be such a surge from both uh, from from both sides of the aisle and independence, but for different reasons that he was you know he, he was less willing to give that answer. Do you guys how do you guys see that in in Michigan? Do you see record level turnout for this cycle, and and if so, do you think that it's going dramatically push one side over the other? So I, I think it's quite possible. The pollster I probably use the most, I'm Richard Shuba from Glen Gariff Group. He always asks a question about motivation to vote, and what we're seeing in that question compared to cycles past is that it's off the charts. But of course, we've got some partisan valence to that too. And the the weakest folks in terms of motivation to vote are independents. Everybody else is really, really motivated to vote. Not to say that independents aren't. They're quite motivated as well. But Republicans and Democrats, it's off the charts. And I think that that's a that's a frame that we we kind of need to get out to. There is out of there is no sort of hard and fast rule anymore that turnout benefits Democrats or benefits one side or the other. You know, I mean, Donald Trump got the second most votes in history um, in a presidential election. So I think there's I think it's a little bit unclear. But I do think this year, just because of the Dobbs decision, you have to say slight advantage D. The thing to watch, right, in terms of turnout that could either help or hurt Republicans is what does turnout look like amongst younger, inconsistent voters, especially young unmarried women, right? If there's an uptick in voting amongst young unmarried women, hello, Republicans, Emily, are you going to vote? <laughs> of course, I am. Yeah, but you always vote. Like you're you're an outlier. Um, people your Thank age you. typically do not. <laughs> he meant that as a positive. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually same thing. Different. Yeah, I mean, 2018 was a really high number of voters. And it, from the primaries, it kind of looks like we're matching that. We're in that same zone. Um, that's a good thing overall, right? For us, wow, people are really unhappy. And they're not just running away. They're actually showing up and voting. And they say Trump is bad for democracy. Look at these turnout <laughs> levels. Oh, also, look at the fact that Donald Trump Jr. will be here tomorrow for Tudor Dixon to juice turnout. Donald Trump himself will be in Warren on October 1st. So there's a lot of people like, oh, gosh, don't bring Trump in. But I think the party realizes they have to motivate their base. And when Trump's not on the ballot, they got to figure out how to use him. There's no surgical way to use him. So it comes with whatever collateral damage it comes with. But it comes with a boost as well. I think the most important thing maybe to look at is like what Adrian talked about. It's great when you're listening to those national pollsters and analysts like Charlie Cook, who notice that Michigan is unique and that we have this ballot initiative going on. So that's going to drive turnout. The question is not just does the issue itself drag more women uh, and even some men into the Dem column. It's if it expands the electorate among those those younger voters, because it's this one thing you can convince them to go out and vote for. I don't know if they vote on the whole rest of the ballot or what they do, but there's probably going to (coughs) be, excuse me, more of them. Weed was like that in 2018. Right. Like there it was pretty it was pretty easy around noon during the 2018 elections to go by a polling place. And it looked like a David Allen Coe concert. Right. Like guys in pajama pants with hair down to the middle of their back. Deep cut. Right. That had never showed up to vote before, but they were going to show up to vote for, you know, vote for their pre-roll that they can buy down the street. They've never voted since. They hadn't voted before. And if you see that sort of thing happening, right, where you have a bunch of young women in sorority T-shirts lined up to go vote on Election Day, that's bad news for Republicans. All right. I'm transitioning. It's Pistons time. Uh, we got three hot minutes on what on your your take for the upcoming season. Great draft. Got Jaden Ivey. Got Jalen Duran. A lot of young talent on the team. We just traded literally. Thank you for sending the text, Adrian, right before the team just traded for a sharpshooter out of Utah. Anyone want to try to say the name? Uh, Boban Bogdanovich. Boyan. 
Bogdanovich, but yes, yes, it's whatever. impossible to say. It, absolutely, that was uh, very announcer tone of you. Yes, that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, we'll be hearing a lot of that this year. Uh, team needed shooting. That's all a good thing. But it's a really competitive East. What do you think? What do you expect out of the team? What do you want for the team this year? I mean, I I, I always want to see the team win, right? But what I'd really like to see, and you you you, I think brought this up, right? I still want to see him get a ping pong ball. Yeah. If we could end up somewhere like somewhere that's not going to cost us our ping pong ball, see some steady improvement, get lots of minutes for the young guys, lots of shot attempts, lots of time with the ball. I'm going to feel really good about that. I think that's right. Yeah. Sally. Um, I, I would be, I can live with another so-so year so we can get a ping pong ball. I'd be all right with that, but it'll be fun watching. There's no doubt. Even in the short period of time that Jaden Ivey played in the summer league, he was dominating before he went down with the ankle injury. It was super exciting to watch that. To add somebody who is a 45% shooter last season, including 39% from three, uh, that's going to be awesome. It. Just dropping knowledge. Mm. Just free up Cade to keep driving in. I yeah. to keep driving in. It's going to be a, a, a beautiful thing. And I think in the East, we're still working at the disaster zone of the the Nets. All I do is listen to Bill Simmons, and they just harp on <laughs> KD, fire everybody. Oh, no, wait, I'll stay. Oh, wait, I want to get traded midseason. What's going to go on there? Um, the Celtics not only lost Robert Williams yesterday, but they lost their coach. Yeah. So that's Ooh. a big dent um, in their organization. And they just gave away their number one assistant to Utah a couple months ago. Uh, he's their new head coach. So there's a lot of uh, ups and downs going on around there. So let's just hope for the Pistons to look competitive, but get another lottery pick. The thing I'm most excited about the young guys all seem to really want to be there. Obviously, you know, we saw the whole thing with Jaden Ivey yeah, at the draft, awesome. but those guys want to be there, right? And um, it's kind of like me wanting to be here. It's like a real similar. Absolutely, thing. right? It really helps with the team building. Um, <laughs> so that, I think, is the most exciting thing about the team. And, you know, if, if the Pistons come out of this year consistently beating the worst teams in the league yeah. and competing, you know, with the above average teams, I'm going to feel great about that. 100%. If we can pull a 10 seed, get into that play-in tournament and lose, mm-hmm. great. Get that ping-pong ball and let's see what let's see what next year brings because I think that's the, the big the big jump next year. So, all right, gentlemen, thank you for coming back. Repeat guests, you do not get a second mug. I'm, I waited till the very end to tell you that, uh, but that doesn't stop you from using those mugs around town right now. So thank you for your expertise. Thank you for being here, and we will stay tuned for November 8th. It's going to be an interesting election night. Just like the bad boys, back-to-back. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for Love having it. us. Thank you.